0: Well, it's great to be together uh, here in person, or for those who are joining us online, we're just delighted that we can worship God together, especially as we are approaching the celebration of Christmas. And so we are celebrating Advent, that's um, uh, part of what we do every December, and that is to prepare our hearts for Christmas for Christmas and for celebrating uh, the coming of Jesus. I have a question for you. How many of you, like me, were self-made multimillionaires by the time you were eight? Here's how this worked. My family loved to take vacations near lakes and rivers and creeks and things like that. And one of the things that that experience always had in common is I would go down to the edge of whatever body of water. And as a little guy, I was certain I had come across gold. Every trip. And so every trip, I would go excitedly bouncing up to our campsite with my Treasures in hand only to have my little heart crushed once again with no Todd That is fool's gold That is not the real thing. And so I would slink back to my poverty and um, (laughs) And then try again next time now here's the problem well, there are several problems, um, but One of the problems, one of the biggest problems, is that I never learned the difference between fool's gold and real gold. And so every camping trip, I would do the same thing. I would just go down to the river, down to the lake, and I was sure that once again, I had discovered our family's fortune, and by eight years old, I was a self-made multimillionaire. And it just didn't work. I'm going to suggest we have the exact same problem when it comes to today's Advent topic. We, con- we confuse fool's joy for the real joy. And that leaves us crushed, disappointed, frustrated, and yet we go back to the fool's joy again and again and again. So this morning, we are going to take a look at what Jesus had to say about his joy. And just like last week, we're going to look at a section where Jesus is teaching his disciples. In fact, it is the same section we were in last week. This is one of the last things that Jesus is going to say to his disciples. And as we saw last week, part of what he said had to do with the peace that he leaves. This week we're going to look that in that same speech, in that same lesson, he's going to talk about joy. So just like the disciples, because this was a speech, I'm going to read it, and you're welcome to follow along. We're in John chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 9 and go to verse 17. So I encourage you to find it, but but I also think there's value in you just listening as the original disciples would have heard this. Starting in verse 9 of John 15, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So there it is. Jesus makes an offer. He makes an offer of his joy. That is to make our joy complete, is to make our joy full. So here's the question that's been plaguing me this week. Why are Christians miserable? Why are so many Christians that I know, so many Christians you know, so often in my own life, why am I miserable? Why can Christians become so joyless because of an election? Why could they become so joyless because of a stay at home order? Why could they become so joyless because of mask requirements or a lack of mask requirements? So, my question is did Jesus not deliver on his promise, on his offer? Or are we missing something? My suspicion is that we're missing something. I think what we have done is we have confused fool's joy for the real thing. And we just keep going back to the river's edge and picking up more fool's joy and finding our hearts crushed again and again. So we're going to take a look today at what Jesus actually offers us in his joy. We're going to ask, what actually is joy? How do we find it? How do we experience it? What does it mean to actually live in the joy that Jesus offers? But we're going to start with a lesson that I never learned about fool's gold, and that is, how do you recognize real joy when you see it? Now, before I deliver on that promise, we're going to take a step backwards and we're going to look at what real joy is not. Or, in other words, we're going to look at fool's joy. Because I think that's going to help us understand real joy and what Jesus is offering. And the first thing I want you to know about fool's joy is, is where you find it is in creation. What do you mean by that, Todd? Well,. We know that we are looking for fool's joy, that we are trusting in fool's joy, or we are holding tight to fool's joy when we are thinking things like, if only I had more. If only I had the newest. If only I had a better. We look for things in creation, and and that's what we are looking for. If only I had a, a new house. We're looking for things that are temporary, things that can be taken away. I'm living an example of that right now. We have, since August, been a one-car family. There is a lot that I'm thinking to myself, my joy will be full when I get that second car, I can't wait to not be a one-car family. Anne keeps reminding me. It's not that bad. I don't know. Um, and yeah, life is going to be easier. But think about how fragile my joy is if it really depends on a second car. That means my joy lasts only as long as my car is not in the shop. That means my joy lasts only as long as my car doesn't have a flat tire. But we do that all the time. We look for things in this world and we say that's what my joy depends on. My joy depends on having more. My joy depends on having what is best or what is newest. And when that's what we think our joy depends on, then what we are doing is picking up scoops of fool's joy and clinging on to that. If you think that your joy depends on or can be increased by or taken away from by what you own or what you don't own, then you are clinging to fool's joy. There's a second sign of fool's joy, a second way we can recognize fool's joy, and that's what's at its core. And what's at the core of fool's joy is self. Fool's joy always centers on self. It's always about how am I doing? How am I feeling? Joy depends on whether or not life is is full of pain or has no pain. Life is full of disappointment or has no disappointment. Life is full of suffering or doesn't have suffering. And if we think that joy depends on not having pain or suffering or disappointment, then we are clinging to fool's joy. And if you stop and think about that for a second, that is completely countercultural. Because every one of us Deep down inside is very hardwired to think that joy depends on whether or not I'm having a good day. If I'm not having a good day, it seems crazy to say that joy is possible. But if that's what Jesus is offering, think about the implications of that. The implications would be that joy means that, that I would never have conflict. Everyone would get along. I would accomplish absolutely everything on my to do list, and there wouldn't be resistance to it. There wouldn't be anyone who was sick. No one in the family would stub their toe. No one would be sad. And let me ask you a question Was that Jesus' experience? Jesus dealt with all kinds of conflict. Jesus dealt with all kinds of resistance to what he was trying to accomplish. Jesus wept. Jesus experienced sorrow. That can't be the joy that Jesus is offering us. So you know that you're searching for fool's joy when how you feel adds to or takes away from what you think is joy. We need to keep in mind what Jesus is not promising. He is not promising that every day will be your best day. He is not promising that you will have a painless, trouble-free life. He is not promising that your life in a fallen world is going to be flawless. Cars are going to break down. Money is going to run short. Houses are going to need to be repaired. Toys are going to get lost. There will be tears. So let's look at what he is offering. What What he is offering, the heart of it, is in verse 11 of John 15. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And what I want to point out is the offering of joy comes in the context of two purpose statements. He has said certain things. He has taught certain things with the purpose that Jesus' joy would be in them, literally the idea of it would live in them, and that their joy would be full. And this word for full has the idea of of taking something that has started and bringing it to completion. So a good picture just happened for me in the lobby, and it made my joy full. I had a coffee cup that had coffee from home. I went to the lobby, and I filled it up again. That is the picture that it's describing here is taking something that has started and making it full. And when you apply it to coffee, that is especially true. Now, there are two lessons right away that we learn about the joy that Jesus offers. It comes from Jesus. It's not based on anything in creation or anything in the world. And it's something that, that can be completed. It's something that grows. It's something that, that ultimately, because of Christ, can be made full. But what about the word joy itself? What does the word joy actually mean? The fool's joy definition tends to think of feeling a certain way, feeling delighted or elated. But I want to suggest that in the Bible, real joy is looked at a little bit differently. In the Bible, you have three different sides, three different aspects of joy. Real joy is much bigger than just the emotion, but it includes an emotion. It also includes action, and it includes what I'm calling quality or, or a, a condition. It's something that marks us as Christians. And so let's look at what uh, just briefly, examples in Scripture about each one of those. First Thessalonians, Paul says this: For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake, before God. There is an emotion of great happiness that is captured in the word joy when joy is used in Scripture. It's a feeling that Scripture often uses for what you feel after you've won a victory, after you've had a triumph. So, so if you think about that feeling after Christmas dinner And all the dishes are clean and put away. And you look around your kitchen and you go, it's clean. That's the feeling of victory. Of triumph. It's really common when I was growing up, this is what I heard all the time, that joy is not an emotion. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is not an emotion. Well, I think it would be more accurate to say joy is not just an emotion. But to remove any idea of emotion from the word joy is is to deny what Paul directly says. It's just that joy is not only an emotion. The emotional side of joy is going to come and go. You're going to feel it sometimes or other times you're not going to feel it. But there is an emotional side to it. But that's not the only side. There's also what I'm calling the quality side. It's the condition. It's a mark of who you are. Listen to what David says in Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, joy is the condition. It is the quality of being in God's presence. The fact that you have life with God is in itself the condition of joy. So think about it this way. If, if the emotion of joy is what you feel after you have, have achieved a victory or, or have triumph, the quality of joy is going through life in a fallen world as if you are in fact the victor. You are on the victorious team. It is the quality of going through a fallen world knowing that Jesus is victorious and you are in him. And that truth guides you and shapes you and ultimately shows up in action, which is the third part of joy. Listen, these are Jesus' words himself. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So this is not a good day. This person's not having a good day. And Jesus says, rejoice. That is the verb form of the word joy. That is the word joy turned into an action. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The action of joy is very often expressed in the word rejoice, and it doesn't depend on circumstances in any way. That's why Jesus can tell the disciples to rejoice when they're being reviled, to rejoice when they're being persecuted. And the reason that they can have the action of joy, they can put joy into action, is because of the quality of their condition. Their reward is great in heaven. God is working for their good and for their benefit. They are just like the prophets who went before them. In other words, God is working in them and through them and for them in powerful, powerful ways. That is the quality of our lives. God is working in you and through you and for you in powerful ways. And when you recognize that, the action that comes from that is to say to God, Thank you. Say to God, I, I am delighted. Even if I'm not feeling it, I am, in fact, in a state where I am delighted because you are working in me, through me, and for me. Another way of thinking about that is joy is our response to God's presence and work in our lives. Sometimes that response is emotional. Emotional. And the emotion could be a wide range of things. It could be contentment in the face of loss. It, it could be comfort in the face of pain. It can be a sense of, of peace in the face of conflict. But sometimes it's not going to be an emotional response. Sometimes it's going to be an action. In fact, it can always be an action. We are used to thinking of fool's joy as as an emotion. And if we feel great, we have joy. If we don't feel great, we don't have joy. But real joy doesn't work that way. It is deeper than that. It is stronger than that. It is going through life as if what is true is in fact true. And that God is at work in you and through you and for you. So how do we recognize real joy when we see it? Real joy is what is at work in you when you feel the delight of God working in your life. Real joy is what is at work in you when you face loss, but you are content. Real joy is what's working in you when you praise God for his work in your life. It is the realization of how close God is to you every moment of every day. So where do we find this joy? Verses 9 through 11 answer the question. Remember, verse 11 started with, these things I have spoken to you. And that was the key for us finding joy. Well, what are the, these things? Well, he's really summarizing everything he said in verses 1 through 10. But conveniently, verses 9 through 10 summarize what came in verses 1 through 10. So we just look at verses 9 through 10, and, and we see what Jesus taught. We find real joy by doing this. Abide in Jesus' love. The word abide means to dwell. It means to reside. Um, Years ago, years and years ago, my dad was still alive. And not only was he still alive, but my stepmother's parents were still alive. My stepmother's parents lived in North Carolina, my dad lived and my stepmom lived in this um, nice little townhouse that in Southern California that was literally a block from the beach. Um, just a fantastic place to go. Uh and I guess especially if you're from North Carolina because the in-laws came out for Thanksgiving in and state. And uh they're nice people. I I don't call them my grandparents because I only met them like once or twice. My, my stepdad, and, or my dad, and my stepmom married when I was out of college. Uh, they were very nice people. But this was not a large townhouse. And so Thanksgiving came and went, and, and they're there. My dad's thinking to himself, okay, you know, maybe after Christmas. And Christmas came, Christmas went. My dad's thinking, okay. um, Celebrate New Year's, but certainly after New Year's, they're going to want to go back home. And New Year's came. New Year's went. And Valentine's Day came. And Valentine's Day went. And my dad thinks to himself, I've got a trump card here. I know that there are tax issues that they have to address back in North Carolina, and they're going to have to go back home in time to deal with those tax issues. So surely sometime in March. Which comes, and it goes. And so my dad sits down with his father-in-law on, you know, first week of April, and it's like, Hey, I, you know, I really want to help you. I know you've got these tax issues to, to deal with back in North Carolina. Um, and it's almost April 15th. Can, can I help you in any ways to, to get you back there um, so you can get those things taken care of? And my dad's father-in-law says the words that came straight out of the pit of a nightmare. Oh, didn't I tell you I filed for an extension? We can be here several more months. They had taken up residence in my dad's house. And that is exactly the picture that Jesus gives here when he says, abide in my love. It is to take up residence. It's to file for an extension. You are not going anywhere. How do we take up residence in Jesus' love? He said it in verse 10, keep my commandments. That's what you need to do to abide in my love. We, need, we take residence in Jesus' love by obeying him, by taking seriously what Jesus has taught by taking seriously that there is a way of thinking, there's a value system, there's a way of relating, a way of acting that is in conformity with who Jesus is and his character and saying that is what I'm going to do. The reason that we do not find joy is the same reason that we do not find peace. It is not because we live hard lives in a broken world. It is because we do not live like Jesus in a broken world. That is why we do not find joy. And there is a little guy that was not finding joy. I want you to think about something for a second about the nature of joy. And it's important just to keep this in mind. Joy is not something that you ever get by pursuing it. Did you catch that? Joy is what you get when you pursue something else. Joy is what you get when you pursue being like Christ and living according to what he has taught. You find joy by thinking like Jesus, valuing what he values, and doing what he says. I have a friend who had... um, really rough week, last week. Um, Got some very disappointing news. Very hard news. And there were tears. There were lots of tears. And some anger. Honestly, anger at God. This is not the sort of thing that you were just going to flip a switch and turn on a happy emotion and say, now I'm joyful. What this friend had to do was to think about and work on how Christ was at work in this situation in her and in other people around her. She had to pay attention to her attitude, repenting when she started to get bitter. She had to watch what she said about the situation, especially to other people. And that was part of her obedience. And she chose to rejoice that God was at work even in the pain, even in the disappointing circumstances, the emotion eventually changed. There's still a lot of hurt and grief. But there is also now a contentment that Jesus is at work. We find joy when we pay attention to Jesus' love for us, when we take up residence in that love, when we take seriously being like Jesus and doing what he tells us to do. And once we find real joy, we need to live in it. And that's what the rest of the passage shows us. For all his commands, Jesus suddenly focuses down on one command. You notice he went from plural commands down to a singular. This is my commandment. This is the one command I want you to focus on more than any other. Love one another in the same way that Jesus loved you. Verse 13 reminds us of how Jesus loved us. He laid down his life for his friends. He went to the cross that we might be in relationship with him and his heavenly father. His love is sacrificial. His love puts others first. Fool's joy always puts self first. It is always focused on self. I am joyful because of what I have. I am joyful because I have what I want. I'm joyful because I am respected in the way that I want. I'm joyful that I'm accepted in the way that I want. But real joy has a completely different path to it. It is the path of self-sacrifice. It is the path that is outward focused. Verse 14 is not saying that we become Jesus' friends by doing his commands. It's saying just the opposite. It's, It's looking at it the other way around. Obedience is the result of the fact that Jesus loves us. Obedience is the mark of Jesus' friends. Someone does not become a Dallas Cowboy simply by putting on a helmet with a star. Well, maybe that is what's happened this year. Um, (laughs) You get the helmet with the star because you're a Dallas Cowboy, right? That's what's going on here. He's not saying, if you do this, then I will love you, then you will be my friend. He was saying, this is the mark that you are, in fact, my friend. And the rest of the passage actually goes on to make that very point. Jesus is the one who has called us friends. Not because of us, but because he chose to. He had the right to call us what he wanted, but he chose to call us friends. We did not choose him. Jesus is the one that chose us and appointed us. It wasn't because we were good people. It wasn't because we were valuable people. It wasn't because we earned it. He chose us, not because of us, but because he chose us. And everything that he did and everything that he taught, he did pointing to this end, that we would love one another, which is another way of saying that we would live in joy how do we live in joy? We live in joy by turning the love of Jesus for Christians into the love of Jesus between Christians. That's what it means to obey him. And that's the key principle that I want us to take away from today's passage. Joy lives at the intersection of love and obedience. Jesus offered to give us his joy, a joy that would make our joy full, complete. And the way that we get that joy is to remain in his love. And the way that we remain in Jesus' love is to do what he says, especially when he tells us to turn his love for us into sacrificial love for one another. Real joy comes when we trust Jesus' love for us enough to do what he says and to be like him. When we focus on less unloving self, and more unloving others. That is when we are on the path to real joy. Real joy is not the feeling of happiness you get on a great day. It can include that. It's a quality about you, a way of going through life that reflects the confidence that you are loved by God as his child. It's an action that expresses delight and confidence and contentment that God is at work in your life. Have you noticed that we are entering into the dark season of Christmas? It's that season of um, people are crazy in stores and people are crazy in their cars. Right? It's the season where there is a line of people with three shopping carts each in the 15 items or less line. We're we're entering into the season where someone drops off their spouse at the front of the store and just stays right on that bright red line that says no parking. Or this one, yesterday, I am driving on the loop And at the last minute, some car, about five cars in front of me, literally cuts across two lanes of traffic to make a last second left turn. This was not a fool's joy inducing experience. Did I mention they didn't use their turn signal? For me, and for the other 15 drivers that all went onto to their horns at the same time, the shift from fool's joy to real joy had to start with focusing not on what didn't happen, what didn't happen was an accident, but instead focusing on what did happen. The Lord protected me. And that in and of itself is grounds for, for rejoicing, for delight in the Lord. And and in that moment, as I'm sitting in my car, staring at this car, making this left turn, the Holy Spirit reminded me of a truth. I live in Jesus' love, and that fact doesn't change if I were in an accident or not. For me, in that moment, I had to come to grips with what does obedience look like? What does it mean to keep Jesus' commands in this moment? Well, in this case, I had no contact with that person. It had everything to do with what was going on in my thought life. It had everything to do with my attitude, how I thought about this person who cut us off. And I was convicted that I need to see this person. I don't know if it was a man or woman, but I need to see this person as someone that Jesus loves. Was I still mad at this person's action? Yeah. But I was grateful for safety, and I calmed down as I realized That this person is loved by Jesus just like I am. Here's the point that Jesus was making to his disciples in this teaching Jesus offers the disciples joy that comes from remaining in his love through obedience. And what is that going to look like for us this Christmas? It's going to be how we're prepared to go through this Christmas are we prepared to show sacrificial love? And that takes on a lot of different forms. One of the things that I try to do just as a spiritual practice every now and then is to let others go first. Force myself to wait. Force myself to give way to others. And when you do that in the grocery store, that's sacrifice. Something we did last year that you can revisit. Decide as a family to give up a gift and use the money that you would save on that gift to give it to someone in need. Take a meal to someone who can't get out. Here's one I heard this past week that really fascinated me. Um, I talked to someone that lives in Dallas who had a whole bunch of homemade cookies. And she and her husband decided what they were going to do, because they had way more cookies than they knew what to do with, is they were going to take them, make plates of cookies, and take them to homeless people. And her husband's reaction was, that's crazy. They don't need cookies. But she persisted, but they might want cookies. And you know what? These people that they met with and talked to and brought cookies to had not had a homemade cookie in years. Years. And that brought incredible delight to their day. It would not be something that would ever occur to me. It's a way that your family can serve. But we also have have organizations like Hardison's and Highway 80 and Longview Community Ministries that there are opportunities for us to serve or for your family to serve or you as an individual to serve right now. So how do we put this into practice? Memorize John 15, 10 through 11. Do what I just suggested. Spend a day being second. Um, why don't we use social media for the power of good and share three ways that you have experienced God's love this week? What a powerful testimony if, if, we got, if all of us did that. And lead your family in an act of sacrificial love. Again, it's not that you're gonna do all, all of these things, but I would encourage you to, to pick one and put that into practice. These are the things that tie us into abiding in the love of Christ, which allow us to live in real joy. We are going to, you guys are here. We're going to close in a song, and then I'll come back up and wrap us up in prayer. Our response? That is exactly the promise that we have through Christ. We are safe, we are secure, no matter what our situation is, and that is the condition that produces joy because we lean on his everlasting arms. I invite the prayer team to come forward. If there is anything that you need prayer about, please allow us to pray with you. Just come forward and and let us pray with you. Let us stand with you in prayer. And boy, this Christmas season, if you do not know the Jesus who pursued you with his love that you can abide in every day of your life, allow us to introduce you to him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge and we do confess that we spend so much of our time searching for fool's joy. And when we find it in possessions and we find it in the things of this earth and we find it in superficial conditions around us, Lord, we cling to it like it's a treasure only to be disappointed again and again and again. And so, Lord, we come before you and ask for your help that you would help us to experience, to know the real joy that Jesus offered. Lord, help us to know that we are loved by him. We are his child. We are your child. We are saved by him, loved by you. And help us even in the most difficult of circumstances to put joy into action by saying thank you that you are at work even in the worst of situations. And Lord, we thank you that you empower us to do that even today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.